0: Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would respond to a patron email regarding borderline personality. But before I do that, let me introduce the podcast. This is the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. And I am your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and a therapist. The email is from a patron. And just a little reminder if you want your emails to be read, you have to become a patron. Not all the time, but uh, your patron emails get preferred. And since I get a lot of emails from patrons, uh, it's hard for me to get to other emails. So um, not to say that I, I, I always read all the emails, but I don't always respond on the air unless you're a patron. Okay, so this is an email from a patron. Thank you for your podcast on borderline personality disorder, which I found really helpful. One of my clients has borderline personality disorder, and I have been having a difficult time with her. She previously had two different helpers before being allocated to me because the other helpers didn't want to work with her anymore. I'm using the word, I'm just chiming in here, I'm using the word helper because I didn't want to put the exact type of helper Cause then it might reveal who the patron is and may- maybe who the client is. So, so anyway, the emailer is the patron is saying she worked with two different people before and they, uh, uh, didn't like working with this borderline client. So she got sent to me. So going on with the email, I think this is a shame and I wonder if it is because they didn't fully understand her condition. I am determined to continue working with her, and I think we have a good relationship. I like her, and I actually think she has very good insight. However, she is utterly unable to use this insight to help herself, which makes it very difficult and very frustrating to work with her. Her main issue is that she refuses to accept that she can change and is fiercely resistant to any suggestion or guidance however tactfully or gently I put it to her. One classic example of this is that after I listened to your podcast, I told her about the research you had mentioned that suggested that symptoms of borderline personality disorder can and often do decline with age and become more manageable in adulthood. I thought this would be a hopeful message for her, but she just turned it around to make it proof that no one understood her because it is impossible for her to ever imagine herself being different, and she thinks she will be dead soon anyway. It isn't uncommon for her to talk about suicide in this casual sort of way. She frequently criticizes other professionals who have tried to help her, like doctors, academic support, etc. And so I am very aware that anything I say could be taken in the wrong way. I feel like I am walking on eggshells the whole time and I am uh, the whole time I'm with her and I find it quite exhausting. Okay. That's the end of the email. Yes. This is very common to borderline and very common to helpers of borderline people. It's very common to uh, what I call stepping on landmines. It's very common to step on landmines as a as a clinician working with borderline people, it's also very common for borderline people to make their therapist feel as though they're walking on eggshells, you know, any suggestion of criticism, any hint of criticism will trigger her relational trauma, which, you know, because when she was younger, she was very likely abused or abandoned or neglected in some significant way. And so any hint of criticism will trigger that trauma, which will cause her brain to go into a panic mode because when she was young, it was a, an actual trauma that she went through in terms of being abandoned. And so that past trauma will be triggered when you hint, even hint at a suggestion of a criticism. And so her brain will go into panic mode, which will cause her to seek solutions to reducing her anxiety which will cause her to attempt to shut down any implication that there's something wrong with her, which will cause her to reject your advice and maybe even attack attack you verbally or emotionally. And I'm talking about any hint of a criticism. You know, things as small as something like, uh, because you've been abandoned all your life, it's natural for you to be sensitive to rejection, most people wouldn't be triggered by that, right? But borderline people are so sensitive to criticism that even that compassionate statement can can be perceived as a massive hurtful attack. You know, let's just look at this statement again. So you say to the client, because you've been abandoned all your life, it's natural for you to be sensitive to rejection. Well, the notion that they're sensitive to rejection. You're 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 saying the, you know you're sensitive to rejection and there's a reason why, it's because you've been abandoned your whole life. Well, there's a number of different triggers in there for someone with borderline. One is is that, what do you mean I'm sensitive to rejection? Isn't everyone sensitive to rejection? Is there something different about me that makes me particularly sensitive to rejection? Because I feel like I'm justified in my sensitivity. You know, if you Stab someone in the leg with a knife and they, you know, were in pain. You wouldn't say, Oh, you're, you're particularly sensitive to knives being jabbed in your leg because you just have this trauma about knives. No, you would say, Everyone is sensitive to being stabbed in the leg with a knife. There's, there's not a, you know, unless you don't have any feeling in your leg, everyone is sensitive to that. So, when you say it's natural for you to be sensitive to rejection because you've been abandoned your whole life, particularly by your parents when you were young, well, it, it's an implication of a criticism, and it's not the criticism or the or the self responsibility that they you know borderline people are sensitive to. It's what f- what they have been found to what what follows criticism. So when they were a kid, they were uh, in their families and they would be sometimes criticized by their parents and then would subsequently be abandoned by their parents in some way, either abused or mistreated or neglected or, or actually abandoned like a father who divorces and moves to another country. Well, these are uh, often perceived by the child as my parent rejected me and abandoned me because I'm a bad person, because I wasn't good enough and I've never been good enough. And so when you criticize even when even though you don't consider it criticism but when you suggest that there's something wrong with them or different about them they go into panic mode because when they were young what uh, often followed that criticism was the black pit of abandonment and I say black pit because it it's like an abyss it's like being annihilated by Uh, your lack of attachment. For those of you who grew up with at least somewhat secure attachments, it's hard to imagine what that would feel like. But for borderline people, when they were very young, they were made to feel as though they didn't, not only did they have no self-worth, but they didn't even have a self. Borderline people are made to feel as though they don't even exist really, that they're not even a real person. And they never develop fully, healthfully, the level of self that people with secure attachments uh, usually develop. And so it's not just like, oh, I'm being abandoned. That hurts my feelings. It's stepping off into a black pit of despair and nothingness and emptiness and hopelessness. Uh, That's what it feels like. And so when you hint at a suggestion, you know, when when you're saying, you said in your email, one classic example of this is after I listened to your podcast, I told her about the research you mentioned that suggested that symptoms of borderline personality disorder can and often do decline with age and become more manageable in adulthood. Well, there's a number of triggers here for the person, apparently, and I could see why you would put this out there. You're trying to instill some hope, but this is the conundrum when you're treating people with borderline is you, you have to think the way they do. You can't think the way you do. You know, if, if you had a condition and someone had information like this, it w- this would make you feel better. But people with borderline, again, are so sensitive to rejection that it, it's uh, something you really have to watch out for. So even though you're not criticizing in this, you're basically saying right now there's something wrong with you. And in the future there will there will be that thing that's wrong with you may go away over time and there, there's a number of different triggers here. one is is that you're you're saying something's wrong with them now, so that might trigger her. Another thing is you're saying, "I might like you better in the future, even though you're not saying that directly. you might not even be thinking that, but there's this implication of there's something wrong with you now, but you'll be and and you're, but when you get older, like much older, when you're 50 or 60, I, you won't, there, there's, there won't be this thing wrong with you. And therefore, I might accept you better in the future. Again, you're not saying that. You might not even be thinking that, but borderline people might interpret that, it, it that way. The other thing that borderline people uh, suffer from, again, is because they, they never de- were able to develop a sense of who they are for them to think about the future is actually kind of hard because to think about the future, you have to put yourself into the future. You know, for instance, for me, when I think about 20 years from now, I'll be 65 and I'm guessing I'll have similar thoughts in my head because I have, I have similar thoughts as when I was 25. So I can't imagine when I'm 65, I'm going to be all that different. And you know, I'll probably be looking forward to retirement or, um, i don 't know we 'll be all riding around on hoverboards or uh, you know self driving cars or whatever it is so i 'm putting my own self into the future well, if you don 't have a self, when you think about the future this can re- this can feel extremely distressing and again if you if you were able to develop a self, then you have no idea what i 'm talking about, and i don 't really know what i 'm talking about. The only reason why I know how to describe it is because I've talked to so many people with uh, cluster B personality disorders, you know, to, to not have a self is such a strange thing for people that, who do have a self, but to people who don't have a self, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't know how they feel. They don't know how to put themselves in other people's shoes because they don't have a self. They don't know how to imagine their selves changing because they, again, they don't have a self. Another thing that this statement might've triggered for the borderline person is to imagine the future means that she has to suffer through something now. And, and, you know, imagine you're, you're like just going with the knife in the leg analogy imagine I stab you in the leg and then I walk up and I say, you know, one day uh, someone's going to pull this knife out, maybe a couple of years from now. And there's a pretty good likelihood that the pain will go away over time and, you know, it'll, it'll heal. But, you know, research shows that, you know, on the average, some, you know, this, someone's going to come along and pull out that, that knife. And well, in the moment you're hurting so bad, that doesn't, That doesn't make you feel any better. In fact, you might even get angry at the person and say, "But what about what I'm going through right now? I have a I have a knife in my leg right now. I don't care about you know twenty years from now. I care about right now. I I'm so I'm in so much distress that I think about suicide all the time." I don't have the luxury of thinking about, well, maybe one day I'll feel better. I'm in crisis mode every day of my life. And so that's another reason why, you know, she could have been triggered by that. Again, there's there's no way to intuit that if you just sort of look at the situation from your own point of view, but again, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who has been denied the ability to develop a self and who has been abandoned and criticized their entire life to the point of annihilation of their ego, then it makes it a little bit more easier to understand. And that's why you have to walk on eggshells with her. Okay, so the other thing I'll say here is that um, therapy takes time. And I'm pretty sure you know this since you listened to the podcast about borderline. But you have to lower your expectations, with this client, particularly regarding short-term results. It sounds like you're, you you understand borderline. It sounds like you have compassion. It sounds like you're willing to work with this person, but you're hoping that your insights with her will take hold. You're hoping that, Hey, you know, I, I can give her some hope or, Hey, I have some suggestions for her in terms of how things can, can go better for her. Those are off the table because Again, she'll likely interpret that as a criticism and then that will create a a rupture in your relationship and you'll have to spend a lot of time trying to repair that rupture. And it's just not worth the little bit of advice that you have. Now, having said that, you can absolutely give advice or, you know, provide some guidance to people with borderline and it can go over well. And I've certainly done that before. And you have to gauge uh, the severity of the borderline and the the strength of your relationship with that person. But in general, unless you know, for sure you really just want to avoid any kind of directive therapy or any kind of practical therapy, shall we say, you know, CBT, that kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't go over well with people with borderline. Uh, Unless they're on board, uh, unless you have a very good relationship, unless they have a milder form of borderline. Um so anyway you have to lower your expectations. You have to really take things slow. And you have to get your own support. As you're emailing me, you're you're getting some support. You're uh reaching out to people. You pe- working with people with borderline is very stressful and it's worth it because you're, you know, d- living your life's mission of making a difference in the world. But it's also very stressful and you need support. It's similar to if you work in an, in an emergency room in a hospital or in a, you know, cancer ward where people die occasionally, you need support because it's, it's stressful work. You need to be able to talk about it. You need someone to lean on. And so that's uh, an important, every time I say lean on, I think of that one pop song that's, you know, someone to lean on. Oh, I hate that song. Okay. You have to have a counter-transference management system or protocol. You have to have some way of noticing what feelings you're having, knowing perhaps where they come from, knowing how to address them, uh, being able to assess the severity, how to get support, how to manage your counter-transference in the moment when you're in session with the client. You need a whole system like that, and my guess is, is that you do. And you have to stay close to the client in order to provide a corrective experience, but you also need to not be vulnerable to her. That's very important. You need to have this balance over the long term. You know, there are some clients who don't have borderline or any of the cluster bees who you could be close to. You could be very close to them and not risk being hurt yourself you could let your guard down so to speak and just be kind of loose with the client. And I'm not talking about breaking any boundaries. I'm just talking about not being on your toes about stuff because there's no risk of the client being triggered and then attacking you verbally or emotionally. But with borderline people, it could happen in in the in a split second. And and I I've I work with clinicians who consult with me or we just talk about things and It's a frequent story that I'll hear and, you know, something that I've experienced myself, but it's more noticeable when I hear other people talk about it. They'll, They'll say, you know, we were just talking and then all of a sudden she was so hostile towards me and all of a sudden he just started to yell at me and I, it, it, it really traumatized me and shook me and I, my adrenaline was going and I, I feared for my life, even though I didn't really have any concrete reason to fear for my life. It was just really a scary moment for me. And this happens with people with borderline, even when they're not being explosive, their mood can shift very quickly again, because they've been traumatized. And when you trigger that trauma on, 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 uh, you're not aware of the fact that you trigger their trauma, they can become very hurt very quickly and then they react very quickly to that. And so in that way, you can't be vulnerable to people with borderline because if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you'll inevitably be hurt by that and then you won't be able to recover and then you won't want to work with those clients anymore. And so even though it'd be best if you could be as loose as, as you are with your other clients. In the long run, it's not recommended because you'll, you'll get so burnt out you'll never want to work with these clients or this particular client again. Also, like I said, you know, don't give advice. Try to avoid practical advice for a while unless you know that it, it will go over well, like I said before. There's really no need for it. You want to focus on corrective emotional experiences overall you want to provide that secure relationship that feels good to her so that she can learn that she's worth it and that she can start to develop a self because in that relational experience of security with you as as her as her helper, she begins to reflect on the self she 's free she she has a secure base in which she can now start looking at herself not in a way of like trying to self-actualize but in a fundamental way of who am i what am i when i have an emotion what does that mean when you're one two years old you don't have a sense of that yet and when you're abandoned or mistreated during those years you're not allowed to develop that and so in therapy that's where that development occurs and so providing advice isn't going to help with that because it 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 triggers them and then it pushes them away. And so all you want to do is just be a secure base, a corrective experience for that client so that they can, again, learn that the world isn't a terrible place, that humans can be trusted for the first time in their life, and they can then begin to reflect on who they are as a person. So you just have to hang in there and the therapy will eventually work to make her feel more secure in the world and therefore less triggered by criticism. Okay, well, I hope that helps. That does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. If you haven't already, please become a patron of the podcast. You can also go to Loot Crate and use the promo code PSYCHOLOGY to get a discount on Loot Crate, and we get a kickback on that. You can review us on iTunes. Oh, you can join the new psychology in Seattle fan page group thing. You know, we have our regular psychology in Seattle page, but since it's a, since it's a page, there's pages and groups. (laughs) I don't know how Facebook works exactly, but there's the psychology in Seattle page, which if you like it, then you just get notifications on your wall or your feed or whatever, whenever I post anything but if you post something on the page, it goes into this sort of dark hole and, and no one can see it, whereas the new group is actually run by the fans. And so it, if you post something on that group, it, it, it automatically gets seen by everybody, if that makes any sense. So the fan group, I, I have high hopes for because then all the fans can communicate with each other at will and I don't have to, you know, be a part of that. I don't have to monitor that or anything. And and our famous patron Lyndon from Ireland is actually the main admin of that. He's our famous patron super fan Lyndon who has gracefully uh, taken on the job of moderating the fan Facebook page. So please go over there. We just started it uh, yesterday, and there's already a bunch of people joining up, and I I, uh, I listen to podcasts, and I like participating on their group page, and so I figure the listeners would like to do that as well. All right, well that does it for this podcast. Thanks for joining. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.